I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Gary, this week we lost a sports legend, Hank Aaron. When I was a little kid, I, I remember this guy playing for the Milwaukee Braves and eventually turned into the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, everyone just said, oh, and Hank Aaron. You know, so it was always Mickey Mantle, it was Willie Mays, and so-and-so, so-and-so, Willie Ernie Banks, and then Hank Aaron. You know, so it was always like the tail end of every sentence as far as baseball was concerned because he was not a flamboyant player. He just went out there every day, did his job, and team won a lot of the times. He made the all-star team just about every single year. But it was not flashy. Yeah, he won Golden Gloves. He won three Golden Glove Awards. He he won the MVP award. But it's nothing about Hank Aaron was flashy. But he was so very consistent. Never hit over 50 home runs. Never hit 50 home runs. But almost every year, he'll get 40-something. 40 41, 44, 43. And you keep doing that. For, for years, and all of a sudden you have more home runs than anybody has ever hit, as far as I'm concerned. Because to me, yes, 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 we got the guy by the name of Bonds, Barry Bonds, who technically has the home run record. But, you know, I, I, I cannot honor that personally because he cheated. I just can't honor it. You know, he was on steroids. We all know he's on steroids. He knows he was on steroids. I, I just can't honor it. But for 33 years, even if you did honor it, he held the home run championship, the home run title. What was amazing about Hank Aaron to me, many things, obviously his strength, the fact that he got threatened constantly when he was going after Babe Ruth, 714 home runs record. His life was threatened on a regular basis. People threw things at him. It was despicable. But yet when Barry Bonds was was at the point where he was about ready to break his record. Hank wasn't at the game that he broke the record, but he filmed a video congratulating Barry Bonds. And yet everybody knew deep down. At that time, we just questioned whether or not Barry Bonds was on steroids. We didn't really know it, but, you know, hitting 70-something home runs, it's like, you know, you scratch your head. It's only, you know, it's like a home run every other day. You know, so it just didn't look right. It didn't feel right. And the size of his neck didn't look right. You know, so everything about him was like, this is not right. And so, but yet, Hank didn't say anything, didn't complain, graciously turned over that title to Barry Bonds. And that was really a, a, a great thing to see. And it was good for sports, quite frankly, for him to do that when he knew that he really was still the home run champion. Hank also did things that other people just didn't do. His RBI record would probably stand for decades to come, more than anyone he he broke the record of Lou Gehrig there. So he broke a record that Babe Ruth held forever. He broke a record that Lou Gehrig held forever. His batting average was over 305. You know, people talk about getting 3,000 hits, and we were all thrilled when, when Derek Jeter got 3,000 hits. Well, Hank Aaron was, was approaching 4,000 hits. You know, only Pete Rose and a few other players had more hits than he had. He had about 3,800 hits in his career. <laughs> he just did it all. They played all-star games sometimes twice in, in one season. So he had 25 all-star appearances in 21 seasons. And he was a world champion. They won the World Series, his team, in 1957. 
He also, that year, won the MVP award. Won the home run title four times, RBI title four times. Just an absolutely special player. And I, I had the good fortune when I was in Congress to have met him personally in my Forrest Gump life, as I've talked about before. Presidential Medal of Freedom Award that was given to him in 2002 by President George W. Bush was well-deserved as well. Quite a gentleman and a person that will always be uh, remembered as, as one of the greatest athletes to ever participate in sport. Many could say, well, you know, Jackie Robinson in baseball was, the, yeah, he did. What Jackie did was, was remarkable, breaking the color barrier. But what this little six-foot guy weighing 180 pounds did it was also pretty awesome since, you know, you look at the baseball players today, Yank Gary would play, probably have to play second base. You know, there was a position of that nature because it wouldn't be that formidable, yet he was able to consistently, you know, just cream the ball. He was a line drive hitter, so he would be able to just hit the ball far enough to go out of the park. He didn't try to hit the ball out of the stadium. He hit the ball over the fence. And I want to bring up another point that's always rubbed me the wrong way because, when they were playing baseball back in the day, Gary, no matter how the ball went into the stands, it was a home run. So a lot of balls that would be ground rule doubles today would be home runs when Babe Ruth was playing. So not trying to diminish Babe Ruth's home run record or, or his numbers, but there would be doubles today. And also you have fences today that are mostly every stadium does not have a railing for their fence. They have a wall you know, that's that's you know, several feet tall that you have to get your home run over. You know, those are little nuances that aren't really that pertinent in the scheme of things because the bottom line, there's been a number of great baseball players, Babe Ruth being one of them, obviously. But what Hank Aaron did in very trying times was something that will always stand out in my memory. And I was very fortunate not only to see him as a player on TV play, but also to have met him. Definitely one of the greatest athletes of all time. May you rest in peace, Hank Aaron, and my prayers, our prayers, Gary, go out to his family. So, yes, Gary, Hank Aaron was a very special person. Yes, one of the greatest baseball players ever, but a great individual who truly did something that I remember as a little kid. We, as a black community, were very fearful of Hank Aaron's situation because you know, breaking Babe Ruth's record was something that, as I mentioned earlier, you know, caused him to get a number of, uh, of threats and thousands of letters on a regular basis uh, saying that certain white people wanted to kill him. So it, it, was, uh, it was something to go through. I'm very proud of the Braves organization because they always honored Hank. They always found a place to have Hank Aaron included. So when he left baseball and when he retired Gary he went right into the front office as a senior vice president of the Atlanta Braves that's fantastic I mean that this is long before you know we, we started to see uh, black individuals in the front office Braves did that and you know Hank Aaron did well on the side I mean he had I think a BMW dealership a bunch of restaurants so he didn't need that job so to speak but the fact that he wanted to be close to baseball and baseball wanted him to be close to itself, spoke volumes of the, the kind of loyalty and, and family that was around Hammer and Hank Aaron. It was good to see. That is why when I get on these tangents in our sports, sports program about players jumping from one team to another city, years from now, they're going to see that there's something to be said that to stay with a franchise and work your way through the ups and downs of that franchise. 
you know, no one has more RBIs than Hank Aaron. No one has more extra base hits than Hank Aaron. No one has more total bases than Hank Aaron. Only three or four other players have more hits than Hank Aaron. Uh, you know, they go, I can go on now. 24 or more home runs from the year 1955 to 1973. I mean, that's you want to talk about consistency? He had 24 or more home runs. From 1955 to 1973. <laughs> I mean, that's like unbelievable. And, you know, that's how you get 755 home runs. But, you know, he was such a gentleman. And, and as I said before, everyone knows he is the individual who holds the home run record. The other individual can't even get into the Hall of Fame. Okay. So if you really held the home run record, I think you would be in the Hall of Fame, and you're not, Mr. Bonds. You're not, and you probably will never be in the Hall of Fame. So let's go with this. How about this? Uh, the guy with the most home runs and in the Hall of Fame. Only one name comes to mind, Hank Aaron. Well, there's a lot to say there. First, what I want to say is obviously this is a very, very sad day for baseball, and it's also a shame that the sports writers didn't vote him unanimous into the Baseball Hall of Fame because you can make an argument he's one of the top five best baseball players ever. Uh, Gary, and, I am know, stunned a, by that, but you, you brought that to my attention, and I guess I knew that because Mariano Rivera was the first, and all due respect, Mariano Rivera, he couldn't hold Hank Aaron's sneakers. I mean, no. He couldn't, hear, couldn't hold his cleats. But, um, you know, you're right. I agree with you. I want to say one more thing as well. Uh, there's a certain sports writer, I'm not going to say his name, but there's a certain sports writer that is a voter for the Baseball Hall of Fame, and he voted for all steroid users. And I think when you look at a guy like Hank Aaron, you look at all the numbers that he accomplished, it makes you appreciate his career even more because no one has gotten close to those numbers doing it fairly since that time period. That's since right. Him. You're absolutely right, Gary. And then keep in mind that, you know, today you could be a DH. Well, Hank was a DH for his last two years in baseball, but for all the other 19 years, he played every single day. He got his butt out there and got out the left field or right field where he played every single day. That's the only way he, he had a chance to get come up the bat. But now, you know, not a lot of guys, you know, just come out four times and, you know, that's it. Mr. Ortiz and some other, other people. But getting back to the point that you made, Gary, those individuals who did not vote for Hank Aaron to turn in their press cards right now <laughs> because there's, there's absolutely, absolutely, absolutely no reason why not to vote for Hank Aaron for the Hall of Fame. Well, Gary, another individual passed away who I, in my Forrest Gump life, did have a chance to meet a couple times I bumped into him at the airport, but I was also on his show, and that is Mr. Larry King. That was the name of the show was Larry King Live on CNN, and I was on his show once, and I, I'm trying to think of the topic of the show because I was on remotely, and it, when you're on remotely, you're like, well, today everyone's on, on Zoom today, so they're, they're actually doing what back in the day you had to do uh, for interviews if you were in Washington and you're questioner happened to be in New York or whatever, a more professional interviewer you would not find than Larry King. And he was so inquisitive and he just seemed to have the right probing question to get you to, uh, to talk and to get you to really let out your opinions. And he was so fair and balanced. I don't know if he's a Democrat or Republican, quite frankly. That's the way journalists used to be, Gary, back in the day. 
I don't think anyone knew whether or not Walter Conkright was a Democrat or Republican or whether or not Huntley Brinkley, Peter Jennings. I don't think we ever knew if they were Republican or Democrat, nor did we care. Well, today, let me tell you, they, they don't really wear it on their sleeves. I mean, they're actually, uh, they're like cheerleaders for their particular candidates. It's so bad. And they, I'm going to do an op-ed on that uh, very soon because you know they are contributing to not the political divide. They're contributing to the divide in our country because we, we really do not need that type of journalism. We need the Larry King type of journalism. If you're going to ask questions, make them fair and make them questions in which you could ask one's adversary the same question and get their response and really have a dialogue. And, and when, you, when you have that type of situation where you're not sharing for one side or the other, you can get more information out of the people that are on your show. And that's exactly what Larry King did. So I'm very proud to be able to say in my Forrest Gump life that I uh, was one of his 50,000 <laughs> guests that he had on his show. And I was not the feature of the show. I was on with other people. I think it was two or three other folks who were on also with different viewpoints than mine, but it was a good show. I'm trying to find it on YouTube, but I guess when you go back into the 20th century in the mid-1990s, it may be a little hard for me to find, but I enjoyed the show and it was an honor to be on the show and, and may he rest in peace as well, Gary, and he passed away at the age of 87. Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University, will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. So, Dad, what was your first reaction and how did you feel about the inauguration? Well, Gary, as I mentioned last week, you know, I, I had gone to, to uh, the 1992 inauguration as a member of Congress. So I was right on that stage back in the day. We all were kind of yeah, obviously it's pre-COVID. And so we were kind of clustered all together and you had uh, just about all the members of the House were there on the House side and you had the most of the senators were there. Back in the day, we all honored this ceremony. And once again, I'm going to say again that I regret the fact that President Trump was not there. I'm happy that he did leave a letter on the desk or in the desk in the Oval Office to President Biden. The content, we don't know yet, but hopefully that will be revealed sometime in the future. But it's a ceremony, Gary, where you put down whether or not you're a Democrat and Republican. Just put that to the to the left or put that to the right or just put it down. You're American and you are an elected official and you represent the United States of America. And many, when I was there in 92, many of the governors from around the country would also be in, in attendance. This time it was hard to see who, who was there. Obviously, Bernie made a fashion statement. Bernie Sanders, my classmate from 1990 when we were in both elected to Congress. He made a fashion statement, but you weren't able to see all the luminaries who were there. Very happy to see the, the past presidents there. And obviously Jimmy Carter's in his 90s and was not able to attend. But the other former presidents from Bill Clinton to George W. Bush and Barack Obama were all there. And I think that's a great thing. And I was very happy to see that, that Vice President 
now former Vice President Pence was there. So it, it was a great ceremony, even though it was scaled down. It was, uh, you know, you didn't have the hundreds of thousands of people, or in the case of Obama, millions of people there. Like when we attended the Obama's inauguration back in 2009, Gary. But very proud of now Vice President Kamala Harris, not just because of the fact that she is the first woman to be selected as the vice president of the United States, becoming the highest ranking woman in, in the country's history. And not because she was an African-American or from Jamaica or not, or from India. No, just because she worked hard for the position. And I'm very proud to see that um, she was sworn in and very happy for, for Joe Biden. You know, I'm not going to miss any words about it. I did not vote for either one of them. But, <laughs> but the point being, we're all Americans and I want them to do extremely well because guess what when they do extremely well we will do extremely well as a country the unity theme i have problems with people saying the word 17 million times and they don't give you an example of how they're going to do what they're talking about and so it's to me it rings hollow when you say well unity, unity, unity. well give me an example of how you are going to exercise the skill or the tactic of unity one example and that's why my op-ed that was published in the Boston Herald last week, and I talk about specifically what unity would be about because it's not that difficult to be able to ascertain. It really isn't. And because of the fact that the average age of the people in leadership, I'm talking about the House leadership, I'm talking about Senator McConnell, and I'm talking about Joe Biden, their average age is 80. Their average years of service is 35 years. They know how to do it. I was there 30 years ago, 25 years ago, and we got things done and we got things done in a bipartisan manner and it ain't hard. It's not hard. And I wrote right in the op-ed exactly how you do it. And I wrote in the op-ed exactly how you do not do it. So if you haven't read the op-ed, just go to my Twitter page, go to my Facebook page, go to my LinkedIn page and read it. So our prayers go out to our new leaders and a new administration. I am also very saddened by the fact that most of his cabinet members are not in their jobs. Now, people think, Gary, that you can do multiple things. No, unless they give you more than 24 hours in a day, usually you can only do a certain number of things. And the people in Congress have failed miserably over the years on just doing the basic things, like funding the government. They have had more continuing resolutions on funding the government, which just means they're kicking the can down the road. They've done that for like decades now. So I don't know how they can say, you know, we can do this. You can't, okay? Because you've demonstrated you can't. If you demonstrated how you can work under regular order and pass bills and, and, and move them forward in that manner, then someone could say, hey, maybe that's possible. And that's why, Press, you're falling down on your job because you should be saying exactly what I just said. Mr. Senators on the Democrat side, you have never demonstrated in your years in office, for most of them, at least in the last 20 years, that you can do two things at one time, that you can actually fund the government and use regular order to do so and do other projects. You've never done that. What gives you the confidence that you can do it this time? No, you can't. One of the senators were talking about being able to chew gum and walk at the same time. Don't tell people that because you haven't. You know, <laughs> you want to see the evidence? You want to see how many times the government has closed down? That, that you know we've had situations where we've struggled to raise the debt ceiling. You know, there's so many examples. There's so many examples of your inability to do that. So that's unfortunate. And now we're looking at another diversion, which is to trial over at the Senate. 
side. Now, I say that, Gary, because guess what? I just did a little research. I said, I wonder what's happened since all this confusion over the election has taken place. Well, let's, let's look at that. Around the 1st of November, there were about 200,000 people who had died from COVID-19. Maybe a little, maybe 210, 220. I'm talking about November 1st around that time. Well, guess what? Between that period of time and today, it's doubled. It's more than doubled. More than doubled while these folks are worried about, well, you know, we got to get rid of a guy who's already gone. You know, what? Yeah, we got to get rid of a guy. Why do you have to get rid of a guy who's already gone? Well, we don't want him to come back. So wait a minute. What are you saying? You're saying that you guys are going to screw up so badly in the next four years that Trump can come back and beat you. That's, that's what you're fearing? Is that what you're fearing? That's what you're saying. You're saying, I, I don't want him to come back. Why? Because you fear that he's going to beat you? If they came back, he would beat you. Is that that's the only logic from that from making a statement like that? Because I see it as though you're trying to burn a sinking Titanic, which is pretty stupid. Yes, Senator Rubio used that comment the other day on one of the talk shows. That's the best word to use. It makes absolutely no sense. But to show my bipartisanship, what the Republicans were doing with Obamacare, trying to repeal something that they had no replacement for made no sense either. <laughs> and to do it over and over and over and over again made no sense either. But the Democrats with their impeachment over and over, you know, it makes no sense. It shows one thing and one thing only. You know how to hate. That's what it shows. And we get it. You know, we don't need to understand the basic fact that you hate Trump. That, 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 that's fine. We understand that. But let's get beyond that and do things that are good for this country. And when you understand that you look at the death toll before election day, days before election day, and see where it is today, and how in that short, shorter period of time we doubled it. And President Biden has said, we can't change the trajectory of this COVID-19. He admitted it. Now, I'm glad Dr. Fauci finally came out and said, hey, basically, I'm paraphrasing. The political football's over. We're going to be on one page. That's good, Fauci. I mean, you could have said that a long time ago. And the press, that's where they fall down again. Tell America. When Biden was vice president, 50 million Americans caught the swine flu. This weekend, we passed 25 million Americans who caught COVID-19. Just say it. It's not, not, it's not a situation where we're saying that Vice President Biden did a horrible job as the leader of that effort. It's just a fact. But because you don't want to say things like that, then you wonder why people don't trust you, media. It's because... You're so slanted and you hide bad things that for your friends and you over highlight things that you want to criticize people for that you don't like. And it's so obvious. You don't, you know, it's so obvious. We all see it. We all see it. So you're saying that, oh, Republicans need to be detoxed. No, you just need to tell the truth. You need to <laughs> just need to tell the whole story, not part of the story, not just the part of the story that makes your guy look good. That, that's what you got to stop doing. And you got to start asking tough questions of our politicians, who you like. We did it constantly on, on Trump. I mean, it was, some of it was very disrespectful, quite frankly. I'm going to take one positive note. I did like the fact, Gary, that President Biden said to his new staff that he have in the White House that if anyone in his White House would be disrespectful, they are going to get fired. The press didn't build that up enough to me because that was a strong statement. I, I love that statement because that's what we need. We need to learn how to treat people with the type of respect we would like to have. Give people the benefit of the doubt and, and show more love and not hate. You're going to have anger when you have people feeling as though they're not being treated fairly. 
you're gonna have it. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. And so that little small step by President Biden, I was very, very happy to hear and should be amplified. Yeah, what do you mean when you say that Joe Biden's staff is not in place? The White House staff, so individuals who do not have to get Senate confirmation, but for the secretaries of the various um, agencies, such as uh, Health and Human Services or Secretary of Education or Secretary of the Interior or Secretary none of those people are in their, in their jobs because of the distraction, the distractions that they've had since Election Day. And many of these distractions are ones in which they gave themselves out of an obsession with Trump. You know, so it's unfortunate that those individuals are not in place. It's unfortunate that they're going to insist upon having a further distraction by having a trial to get rid of a person who's no longer there. I think that if someone said this to any seventh grader or even a fifth grader, should we be trying to remove a person who's no longer there? I think a third grader will tell you that makes no sense. I, I really think so. I think so. I think if you ask a third grader whether or not that sentence makes any sense, Democrats, you'll know why Congress only has a 15% favorable rating, because it, <laughs> it's laughable. As I said before, as I hate to repeat myself, but it's like saying that I fear Trump so much that, and we're going to do such a terrible job, we being Democrats, in the next four years, that Trump's going to be able to come back and beat us. And that's the worst thing that could ever happen. And so we have to take this preemptive strike for something that could happen four years from now, because we're going to be so terrible, we're going to be so vulnerable as Democrats that he could actually do it, unless we prevent him from running again. <laughs> it's laughable. I mean, it's so funny. And you're saying Republicans need to be detoxed? Oh, my God. <laughs> Something is wrong with this movie. So I have another question. When does it normally get done, the staff? Well, in, in the past, Gary, many of them would have been on the stage when the president-elect would, would be made the president of the United States at the inauguration. So I remember a number of number of people already in the Clinton administration, they're ready to go. It usually happens rather quickly. I think technically speaking though, Gary, let me back up on that. Technically speaking, it can't happen until after the president has been sworn in. And he has to, technically speaking, he has to submit the names to the Senate for each one of those positions. I say that, technically speaking. But the hearings could start before January 20th. And that's what normally would happen. So when the president is sworn in, right after that, boom, all these people can confirm because they would have already had the hearings. Because to keep in mind, they would have had from November to January 20th to have hearings. So that's under a normal type of uh, situation. But it didn't happen this time. But I was remiss by not saying that he does have to make that official request of the Senate for John Doe to be secretary of whatever agency. But right after that, confirmation would happen all in the same day because the hearings would have happened weeks before. Now, keep in mind, all the security measures were already taken. They started vetting of, of the people as soon as, as soon as the president-elect made it known to the country that he wanted John Doe or Jane Doe in that position. So the wheels started at that point, but the confirmation, the hearings at the Senate level had not. And that's unfortunate. So we're out of time for today. Don't forget to subscribe.